Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky, over-the-counter, or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? This is Dr. Ronald Hopp with a better natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals. Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex. Future Farm's liquid turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief. Sourced and manufactured in the United States, this product contains 1,600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties. This plant-based curcumin is used to possibly reduce inflammation, block proteins that trigger swelling, and intercept inflammatory pathways, significantly decreasing inflammatory responses. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Don't live with pain when there's an all-natural, science-based remedy that works. myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking to uh, one of the, the foremost advocates of a low-carb dietary approach to diabetes, to weight loss. Uh, he is a professor of cell biology at the State University of New York and uh, author, uh, actually uh, author and editor of a comprehensive review of dietary harbicide carbohydrate restriction as the first approach in diabetes management. We talked about that in part one. Uh, and he's got a new book entitled Nutrition in Crisis. And uh, basically, uh, the idea is uh, about the ascendancy of the low-carb diet uh, in the face of uh, some powerful forces uh, that seek to push back on that truth. Um, so I just want to start out by saying that there is this thing called biochemical individuality, uh, which means that, you know, different strokes for different folks. Is it possible that uh, a small subset of people or, or maybe even a larger subset of people are more vulnerable to the effects of fats and that they do better on low-fat diets? Uh, and maybe that's why there's confusion when the studies get looked at. You know, some studies say yay, some studies say nay um, about the value of um ketogenic diets or low-fat diet, I'm sorry, low-carb diets? No, absolutely. In fact, one of the problems with the diet-hard hypothesis and the obsession with saturated fat is that we won't know what, what the uh, risks are with saturated fat. Uh, we can't say there are none. All we can say is that when they tried to show risk across the board, it wasn't there. But you're right. That, there, there wasn't a strong enough signal if you look at the 10,000 people, but maybe there's a subset of like, uh, you know, 300 people or 500 yeah. people who may be very vulnerable to those effects, but there's, they get washed out in the, in, the, in the noise. Yeah, I mean, let me say that uh, uh, in terms of your introduction, uh, I'm not actually an advocate for anything. Okay. Uh, uh, Fair enough. I think what we've shown is that... Uh, your best approach in diabetes or metabolic syndrome is a low-carbohydrate diet. If it doesn't work or you don't like it or uh, uh, you can switch to something else. But, but you ha uh, people talk about individuality, but you have to start someplace. And in diabetes, you start with a low-carb diet. At the same time, I think there's nothing better for weight loss, but there's a million ways to lose weight, uh, especially if you're young. And uh, so that uh, 
I think a low carb diet is a good way to uh, start, but uh, you know everybody has uh, 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 their own thing, and uh, we don't know what causes heart disease. We know things that may be relevant, but uh, what we know is that uh, there doesn't appear to be any risk to heart disease from doing a low carb diet, and because of the importance of insulin in so many aspects, uh, it's a reasonable place to start. So, uh, yes, your answer is absolutely right. Uh, uh, individuals uh, may respond in different ways, especially in heart disease where, you know, we, we have a lot of confounders. Is there hope that uh, in the future we may develop such a sophisticated science that using uh, uh, nutrigenomics, uh, genetic profiling, and or uh, metabolomics, uh, we can sort of sort it out. We can say, well, look, you're a person who's going to do well on a, uh, a, a very low-fat diet, and alternatively, uh, another person might do well on carb restriction. Uh, is that something that you can envision based on you know, your understanding of biochemistry? Well, to a large extent, yeah, I think that's that, that will be the uh, direction that uh, we go. I don't, uh, I mean, there is the problem with heart disease in particular that it may be sort of uh, uh, chaotic in the mathematical sense, you know, the... the Multifactorial and, you know. Yeah, uh, that uh, the description that uh, a butterfly flapping its wings on one continent will cause a tornado on another continent. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do have that, but I think we, uh, th there is a lot of hope for that. Uh, the problem is far more complicated in cancer. Yeah. Well, let's, let's focus on cancer because tell us about your work on uh, keto diets for cancer with Dr. Eugene Fine at my alma mater, Albert Einstein College of Medicine. That's where I went to med school. It's interesting that they're doing uh, nutrition work on cancer. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dr. Fine is the, the PI on this uh, project, uh, which... Um, he did a uh, pilot study on uh, a very, it's a small study, safety and feasibility, feasibility study on 10 patients with advanced cancer. So the, uh, the patients had to either have failed or, or refused chemotherapy to get into this study. So it was, uh, as they call it, uh, safety and feasibility. They did okay. And I always find that that's unfortunate when they sort of relegate to nutrition the very dregs of the of the cancer uh, establishment because it's like okay you failed everything you're on your last legs you're terminal okay now let's try nutrition I mean <laughs> but I guess that's for a feasibility study it's not necessarily yeah for, for a study that uh, that's reasonable for a patient uh, there's no one of the things about ketogenic diets for cancer for any number of diseases is that we get anecdotal studies. Uh, that are uh, very dramatic. And because they're anecdotal, you don't necessarily know where to go with them. But what they do tell you is that they're safe. And, and so there's no real risk in being on a ketogenic diet. In, in fact, the barrier is to this is that we all un misunderstood or, or uh, didn't pay attention to uh, ketogenic diets because we... Uh, in medical school, they're generally taught as the uh, 
a side effect of uh, ketoacidosis. Right, uh, untreated type one uh, diabetes. Right, and those tend to be conflated as you know uh, ketogenic diet and ketosis versus ketoacidosis, which is a very dangerous uh, you know put patients right. in the ICU kind of situation. Yeah, the, uh, but uh, ketone bodies are regulated by insulin. If you uh, have type one diabetes, you don't have insulin, and the uh, you know there's a feedback loop. Uh, fatty acids break down. Um, fat breaks down to fatty acids. Fatty acids are converted to ketone bodies. Ketone bodies stimulate the release of insulin, which represses the breakdown of fat. So it, it's, it's regulating its own uh, uh, synthesis. Uh, if you don't have insulin, then you uh, will have a problem. But we, we mi misunderstood the effect of ketone bodies themselves and still don't know that much about it, but if you step back one second and think, our forefathers uh, did not get three square meals a day. They lived on ketone bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, starvation is very paleo. It's part of our ancestral <laughs> oh, yeah. heritage. Uh, exactly. I mean, I always, uh, uh, paleo is keto. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, so... Uh, so that is the problem. We misunderstood that, uh, all of us, and uh, underestimated its importance. So with the, with the cancer work, uh, you know, I, I've heard the theory. You know, we actually have had Dr. Thomas Seafried on as a guest on a couple of occasions here, which is kind of dates back to the work of Otto Warburg, who won the Nobel Prize, I guess, way back when, 1910 or something like that, uh, or and perhaps in the 1930s. I'm not even sure. But um, the idea that uh, you are essentially starving the cancer cell of its uh, sustenance when you feed it fat in the absence of carbs. So is that uh, how it works? Or is it really that simple and elegant? Uh, you know, cancer's answer is always not so fast. Right. Uh, it's a very tough uh, nut to crack. I mean, we are, uh, w one of the things going on in our lab is we have a kind of... Uh, uh, we have we have an instrument that uh, is is kind of a robotic Warburg apparatus, and uh, so we can get a uh, indication of what kind of metabolism is going on. You know, the metabolism is basically uh, uh, energy metabolism is basically two blocks. We convert uh, glucose and other. Uh, uh, foods into uh, a um, compound called acetyl-CoA. So if, uh, anybody who studied uh, freshman chemistry remembers acetic acid. Right, you're giving me nightmares again because that's uh, that was one of the worst summers of my life when I took uh, about two semesters of biochemistry as a <laughs> cram course prior to med school. Uh, well, uh Undoubtedly, you uh, remember the part where acetyl-CoA goes into uh, uh, oxidative metabolism that mm -hmm. uses oxygen, whereas glycolysis, that's the part uh, that doesn't require oxygen. Uh, Which is for fermentive metabolism. Right. Actually, you know, the glycolysis, I always said, uh, I don't know whether this is really helpful, but uh, glycolysis is the process that uh, converts glucose to pyruvate or pyruvic acid. Mm -hmm. And I always tell students that 
etymology will tell you something because uh, pyre is the same root as fire, right? As pyromaniac, and and uvo in Romance languages means grapes, so pyruvic acid comes from firing grapes. In other words, oh, fermentation. Cool. That's a cold mnemonic, but so that's sort of the gateway to the Krebs cycle. Uh, right. But uh, cancer cells are thought to operate at a different level, at a more primitive level. They don't have that uh, capacity. They don't have uh, the uh, mitochondrial mojo to utilize uh, uh, fat as a as a substrate, and so they're they're Sugar dependent, something along those lines. I'll tell you what Barberg found. Uh, he uh, grew cancer cells, and the py pyruvate can either go into acetyl-CoA and in the oxidative metabolism, and then when you have oxidative metabolism, of course, uh, you make CO2, carbon dioxide. Right. Uh, but when you're not running that, or not running it well, the uh, pyruvate is converted to lactic acid. Okay. So, uh, again, it's fermentation, but it's the same fermentation that goes on in uh, your yogurt. Exactly. Right? And that's why you get that tart taste in yogurt, the acid adophilus, right? Makes, exactly. Right, yeah. So, what Barberg found is that if he measured the amount of lactic acid as an indication of glycolysis, and he measured the amount of CO2, the ratio was much higher in cancer cells. Okay. And he thought that was a, a feature of cancer cells. The Cori's, uh, you may remember from uh, biochemistry, the Cori cycle. Yep. Uh, anyway, Gertie Cori was a, a very important biochemist. Uh, and what she did is she, following up on Varberg, she got a, a chicken with a tumor in its one of its forelimbs. And she uh, stuck a tube in uh, both forelimbs, the one with the cancer and the one with the uh, uh, the one that was normal, and then she uh, looked at how much CO2 and how much lactate was in there, and she found the same thing that Varberg had found, that, that uh, the cancer cells seemed to be running uh, fermentation uh, rather than uh, oxidative metabolism, even though there was oxygen there. So, I mean, that's, that's the important point. Uh, cells can switch, but right. here... Uh, so I think that's uh, come to be a, a renewed interest. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, uh, unfortunately. Uh, some cancers don't show a Varberg effect. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, most prostate cancers uh, do not show that. And uh, we, we, uh, one of the tip-offs is that if you look at the relation between cancer and diabetes, there's a good correlation for most cancers in susceptibility to uh, cancer in people with diabetes. Uh -huh. uh, it's not true in prostate cancer. It, it even goes the other way. So we, uh, okay. right off, we expect that if we get anything out of ketogenic diets, that's not going to be the one that's going to work out. Uh, so this is envisioned as a adjunctive therapy. Clearly, it's not. You know, some miracle cure, you know, uh, people with uh, advanced metastatic cancer all just they're all go on a ketogenic diet. It's all going to, you know, shrink and disappear. Uh, although there may be some response. It's, it's a way to attenuate the cancer, maybe so that it becomes more vulnerable to other, uh, more, uh, targeted therapies, perhaps. Well, that's one of the things we're working on, uh, uh, in my lab and, and Gene is just, uh, 
uh, told me about uh, studies he's done up at Einstein with in rats, but I'll tell you about the tissue culture stuff that we're doing. We uh, we we showed that uh, several different cancers uh, would be inhibited in their growth and their generation of ATP. ATP, you know, is considered a kind of energy molecule, and uh, that they were inhibited by acetoacetate, which is one of the ketone bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, lately, we uh, were studying some cytotoxic agents. Uh, agents that would really kill cancer, such as rapamycin uh, and methotrexate. Methotrexate uh, inhibits the folate uh, uh, cycle, right? And and uh, the principle is that you need to run folate to make uh, the base thymidine. If you know, uh, most people are familiar with the uh, the bases in uh, DNA A, T, C, and G, and T is uh, to make tea uh, requires uh, one of the folic acid derivatives. And they have many forms, but if you inhibit one of the reactions with methotrexate, then that slows uh, DNA synthesis down. The problem is that uh, maybe uh, in, in some sense the problem with all cancers is that they're both uh, uh, extremely dangerous and extremely normal. So it's hard to get at them without hurting uh, normal cells. So the problem in methotrexate uh, therapy or all the chemotherapy is these uh, side effects. Which Collateral can, damage. Yeah. 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 And they can be drastic, uh, you know. Uh, so uh, we were uh, we asked the question, if a patient's on a ketogenic diet, could they do with less of these cytotoxic agents, thereby reducing side effects? And so what we have, now this is a tissue culture study, it's it's in a dish, and we found that we need much less rapamycin or much less methotrexate if the uh, we also put in acetoacetate. So acetoacetate does not kill the cells. It slows down their growth. They're in a more static state. But then much less... Uh, of these uh, 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 cytotoxic agents will kill them. So that that's encouraging. That actually suggests that there may be a role, if only ancillary, of uh, very low-carb diets or ketogenic diets in support of cancer patients. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, where it can be applied. Different cancers may have different characteristics. Even the same type of cancer at a different stage in its development in a different person may respond differently. So we need, I guess... Uh, ways to identify uh, which cancers are most most susceptible to this because it is a bother. It's not, you know, it's a big undertaking to go on a ketogenic diet. Uh, exactly. Uh, and it's, we, you know, we don't even know sometimes in the same tissue whether it's the same cancer. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of uh, polygenetic uh, cancers, multiple genetic sequences within even a single uh, tumor. I, I just wanted to, to, to finish this by saying um, you actually have been very active teaching in medical school. Uh, and one of the questions I had when I was learning biochemistry uh, in medical school and physiology was it was I found it very boring because it was very theoretical. We were just talking about pathways, pathways, pathways. Uh, and I 
when I was already interested in nutrition at the time, so I applied the biochemistry to problems of ordinary nutrition, proteins, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals, uh, that kind of invigorated it for me. So uh, why do you think that hasn't taken hold in medical schools even now? There's very little nutrition teaching. Uh, I don't know the answer to those things. I think uh, things move slowly. Part of it is that the curriculum uh, in medical school is so extensive. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, our students are so good. Uh, I, uh, I'm amazed that they can learn all the stuff they do learn. But we're, uh, we're and, feeding and them can, like a Strasbourg geese, you know, all this information. And maybe 1% of the time is allocated to nutrition, which I think uh, deserves primacy in training a physician. Yeah, well, I, I can only say that uh, downstate... Uh, uh, we try to do that. Uh, the question is uh, how much time you can spend on it and where does it take? And also there's the basic idea of medical school, which is about drugs. Yeah. And, the, uh, the pharmacological paradigm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drugs and surgery. And that's what, uh, and of course that's been fantastically successful. I mean, modern medicine, um, its successes are uh, uh, very great. Uh, so that makes it, uh, you know, tough to get new stuff into it. Uh, but the resistance of the medical establishment does not help. I can tell you that. That's for sure. What sort of professional pushback have you encountered because of your somewhat iconoclastic views about nutrition? I mean, you've, you've found that You've been uh, shunned or uh, 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 at various times uh, maybe quarantined <laughs> because well, you take a different uh, I, approach. It's very difficult to get papers published. Yeah. And it's uh, impossible to get, uh, well, it used to be impossible to get funded for low-carb studies from the NIH. I mean, I was, uh, I'm trained, as you mentioned, as a protein chemist, and I was funded for uh, 19 years by the National Heart and Lung Institute. Uh, but the last time, uh, they wouldn't fund our cancer study, uh, and they wouldn't even give me 10K to run a conference on low-carb diet. So, wow. Uh, and it's very hard to get published. And, uh, but now, um, there's a lot of confusion as we were talking about before that, that uh, low carb is clearly demonstrating its value. It's no longer the, uh, stepchild. And at the same time, the, uh, or possibly as a consequence of that, you have really, uh, uh, I, I mean, you really have vicious response. Uh, my book, uh, the new chapter in my book, describes the attack of the medical establishment on, on their own people, on doctors mm -hmm. and yep. uh, health providers, and so it's it's really uh, uh, can't say it's it's the discouraging part of what's uh, uh, a mixed bag. Uh, in terms of uh, 
personal interactions. I, uh, I may have a personality disorder anyway. You know, I come from Brooklyn, so. <laughs> that makes you an automatic <laughs> pariah, I think. Yeah. But it, uh, al- but it also puts you in a distinguished cadre <laughs> of individuals because the folks right. who went to uh, Brooklyn public schools uh, back in the 50s and 60s and, you know, went to, uh, uh, you know, came out of that culture, uh, some of them became you know, real top leaders in uh, medicine and politics and in uh, finance in America. So you're you're a special breed of cat, and also not uh, to mention murder incorporated. Right, exactly. Uh, We're talking about the Brooklyn Dodgers, but uh, you know, just well, I used to be. Uh, I uh, I was uh, uh, used to be the editor of uh, Nutrition and Metabolism Journal, which is published in England, and I, I used to argue a little bit with the publisher. Uh, who I never met, but one of them told me on the phone that he thought I was a cross between uh, Woody Allen and Tony Soprano. So, <laughs> I guess that's high praise coming from an English. Yeah, I took it as well. Good stuff. Okay, so uh, let's give us let's give our audience some resources. First of all, the new book. Uh, it's actually uh, a complete update of the previous book. Uh, it's called Nutrition in Crisis, and it's available from Amazon. The author, our guest, Dr. Richard David Feynman, and uh, Dr. Fleming, you got a website as well with a lot of uh, your blogs and information. So yeah, what's that, please? Uh, FindmanTheOther.com. FindmanTheOther. And that is because of the peculiar fact that you are often confused with Dr. Richard Feynman, who yeah. is uh, the uh, the author of some wonderful aphorisms. I use his quotes all the time. Uh, but uh, it, that's spelled differently. It's F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. So it's, that's it's, why I... Uh, that's why I adopted. I was encouraged to u- start using my middle name so as to, uh, uh, as they say, disambiguate myself from his name. Uh, it hasn't really done much for my career. I'm thinking of changing my name to Richard DeGrasse Feynman. <laughs> there you go. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's findmeintheother.com, and uh, it's uh, that's my blog. It's been a little bit uh, inactive, but I'm about to uh, uh, start uh, posting some things right away uh, because of some of the recent stuff that uh, it came out. Well, well, great stuff. Congratulations on your uh, your wonderful work, your wonderful career, and also your uh, iconoclasm and your courage in uh, bucking the trend in the field of nutrition and just using good science. And I think, you know, you're not carrying water for one side or the other, but I think you're just uh, aiming for the truth. And uh, the truth, you know, fortunately, the tide is turning uh, because, uh, as you once said, uh, that uh, 2018 was the year of low carb and uh, 2019 is uh, certainly following in that in that trend. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Feynman. Well, thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, this is a vital time to bolster our immune defenses. I've received countless requests for a specific list of supplements that I recommend to support immune health. That's why I've created the Intelligent Medicine Immune Support Protocol, my supplement recommendations offering the greatest boost for your immune system when it's needed most. Best medicine is preventive medicine. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com for more information. drhoffmanstore.com. In addition to the immune support protocol, you'll find easy-to-follow links for our supplement starter kit, heart health protocol, and much more. 
These protocols are an easy way for you to get the exact combination of targeted supplements you need to help you follow the intelligent medicine lifestyle. The same supplements I take for myself and prescribe for my patients. And for a limited time, you'll get free priority shipping on all of your store orders. For more details, just go to drhoffmanstore.com. That's drhoffmanstore.com.